0: Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. On today's show, I have a really exciting interview that I just, I cannot wait to show this with I'll just say that. I have someone who's done some really interesting work. You may have even heard it. If you are an NBA fan, you've been part of the 75th anniversary All-Star Celebration that was going on, then you heard this man's voice and you have likely really enjoyed it. So without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest to you. This is Tyson Couttei. Tyson, welcome to Vox Talk. Hey,
1: thank you, Steph. How you doing?
0: I'm great, thank you. And and I'm so happy that you're here. One of the our team members actually had posted about this amazing job they'd done, and they were talking about this NBA All-Star and this activation. And I, I dug a little deeper and I'm like, wow, this voice is amazing. And it turns out it was you. So so that's Aww. how we all got connected. I'm so appreciative that you're here.
1: Man, you're awesome for my ego. This is fantastic. Well, you know. <laughs> Tell me more about how much you love what, I'm just kidding.
0: Uh-huh. No,
1: that the project was fantastic. I mean, it's funny when scripts come through and, you know, you kind of have an idea just through a sample script on what it could be. I think that's probably one of the most exciting parts for me is that I don't know what it is or I'm trying to figure out what it is. And then when you start to discover what it is and what it's going to grow to be, and then who, you know, who potentially could be experiencing what you're working on, it's just exhilarating. And I think at the end of this, once I got to work with the team and they were telling me all their plans and the installation at the All-Star Game, I was like, whoa, okay, this is amazing. And was actually enamored by the job that they did in the production of the whole thing, because they had amazing music. They had a soundscape. Like this was this visceral experience that you got to be part of going through this installation during the All-Star game. And then to see even the post that Sarah posted regarding the walkthrough, it had um, one of the experiences of Isaiah Thomas, which back in the day for me, he was one of my heroes in basketball to see him there exploring and enjoying. And like, I was the one taking him through that nostalgic time of his life. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, man.
0: <laughs> wow, that that is amazing. And I would be remiss to not mention what this project is called. Out in the wild, they're calling it the first bounce, right? Like first yes. bounce. So um, this is like, if you want to go, and we have this linked in our show notes for anybody, but if you want to go and actually listen to all of Tyson's work, then you are welcome to go and listen through all the eras. There's 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, it kind of takes you through the different moments in history where street basketball was the thing that launched careers of major stars. You know, one of them is Rucker Park in New York. And, you know, it's a streetball place where if you actually see the footage and, and I got to see some of the installation of what they did and what they shared and some of the archival footage of the streets full of the community and people on rooftops and on school buildings and hanging out in bleachers all in the streets. And you were just watching things come to life of these amazing stars and and players. Some of, you know, obviously you've heard of and then ones that you didn't hear of, but in their own right, were just phenomenal players. And it was just this time in this era of the kind of a rite of passage for great ball players to come through the streets of New York to then end up on the grand stage of the NBA It was just phenomenal to see it relive like that. And I think that's why, you know, there was such an emotional reaction from Isaiah Thomas when he saw it, because it took him back to that foundational and pivotal time of his career.
0: It was amazing. It's beautiful. And I will fully admit, I am not a big basketball fan. I couldn't hit the hoop if I tried. Well, sometimes. (laughs) But, but you know, like, I just think, like, for you, as someone who I'm guessing you were a fan of basketball, do do you play yourself?
1: I mean, I trash talk my son in play. Uh, that's as far <laughs> as I go. But yeah, I mean, basketball for me was not just, you know, a fun thing that I did when I was in high school and whatnot, but also it just it became part of culture. And so I think seeing that aspect of it and what's great about this project is that you don't have to be a basketball fan to see how cool it is to go through some of the history of it. And it, it is a history lesson on the sport. Which is very cool. So even if you know nothing about basketball and don't know the players, this gives you an inside look at maybe some of the journey that, you know, your favorites or all-time classics have been through.
0: Yes, I, I definitely am one of those people who you have just described. Um, I knew who Isaiah <laughs> Thomas was. But beyond that, I wasn't as as uh, close to the project as some other people would be. But Come what on, you I know Kobe know Bryant? That... Oh, well, okay. Yes, of course. See, I know Kobe you Bryant. are a
1: basketball fan. You just don't know it yet. <laughs>
0: Oh, I suppose that could be true. And I know it's kind of March Madness time as we're recording right now. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation um, at the time that we are. And uh, just something I, I wanted to commend you, though, for on your work was that you really got into the whole space that these people were in. Like, I felt like you were taking me back into those places. And I'm sure wow. anyone who's listened to this will, will agree. And that's why I thought, you know what? It sounds like Tyson really loves what he's talking about. And that makes a huge difference when it comes to authenticity and, and making sure that you can connect with an audience.
1: Oh, that's very sweet of you to say. I appreciate that. I think one of the secrets for me being that I have a background in helping to produce audio for these kinds of things is getting them to actually take me through that journey by playing the music that they intended for each one of those journeys. And also they gave me the sound design. So it was almost like I was there. And that was such a great help for me is that I've got my setup done in such a way that I can hear audio being played back pretty cleanly, or I get them to send me files ahead of time so that I can get as close to what the experience is that they want their audience to have while I'm performing it. So that was a great part of it. So for you to mention how it felt like, you know, I was so so, such an integral part of the story, that is because I've recorded that being part of the story, being part of that walk through the installation and the immersive content that they were kind of presenting to the audience. I recorded in that environment and they got to show me some of the picture, and, you know, a lot of times as voiceover artists, you get a very minimal picture of what's going on. And one of the things that I'd love to communicate to the audience is that if you're trying to do this, don't be scared to ask for content. Like if there's an opportunity with one of the voice's producers or if you're dealing with people directly, ask for stuff. Say, hey, do you have the, even just the music? I know for myself and my wife, Misa, who's a prominent artist here as well it's an integral part of what we do is understanding the tone, the pace. And so much of that is informed by music or the picture. And a lot of times I hear it all the time with talent that I've worked with. It's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. They see it on paper. It's like, okay, all right, I got it. And then we want you to do this and we want you to do that. And, and try to do it like this. And like, they give you all this like instruction of how to imagine what it's like. But then when you just play the picture, 30 second spot goes by like, oh, okay, I get it. And it informs so much, but we have to, as artists and talent, know to ask for it. And a lot of times it's available or asking ahead of time. Don't ask at the beginning of the session. Ask days before if you can. Hey, could you just give me a sneak peek as to what we're doing? And that will a lot of times inform what you're going to do as a performer.
0: Oh, for sure, like you have time to marinate in what that is, right? Like, if you have exactly. the music ahead of time, you got the visuals, and a lot of people in animation, when they get specs or sides for something, you'll often see a picture of the character, um, yes. you know, and, and in this case, like, if you're going back to a time and a place and referencing individuals who are real, you know, and still alive today. That's right. um, You need to understand what you're talking about. and, And I just love how you did that. Now, when you had mentioned about voice direction, I know that's part of your background too. So it would be wonderful, Tyson, if just now you could talk a bit more about your journey as a voice artist and how voice direction has fit into your career and how that helps you as a voice talent yourself.
1: Oh yeah, I'd love to. I mean, for me... For years now, working with a local Toronto music company, Grayson Music Group, we make music for television commercials. So a lot of times what I will do is I'm the one that's hired to direct the voice talent, also guide the music. But part of that process is picking talent, helping to shortlist talent, and then direct them once they're in studio or, or I mean, now doing it remotely but directing the voice, hey, can you try it this way? Can you try it that way? Maybe take a pause here, take a breath here, all those kinds of things. So for me, naturally, I I hear a cadence and rhythm of what voiceover should be because I've directed it. So a lot of times I've learned from so much great talent over the years on, you know, what the, the tricks and the tips are for making, giving a great read and some of the ways to get in and out of copy in a smooth way when you have to be fast, when you have to be slow, et cetera, et cetera. So I will often direct talent. And funny enough, through the pandemic, everything went remote. I had to figure out my remote setup, which is, you know, what I'm recording this podcast with you today on. It's I got my mic set up. It's right in front of me. It's a great microphone because hey, I'm an audio guy. My audio can't suck. So a lot of throughout, you know, 2020, even some of 2019, I started doing some remote work. And people would always comment, wow, you have a really good voice. Wow, you have a really good voice. And I was like, Oh, thanks. Okay, cool. Hey, yeah, you ever think of doing voiceover? Not really, but you know, I'm a music guy. Like, that's what I do. And so a lot of it was having the time to discover, hey, you know what, people think you have something, why don't you try it? So I opened up a voices.com account, got some encouragement from my wife who was like, Yeah, I think you could do this. So I said, All right, let me open up an account, throw in a few auditions, see what happens. Well boy, oh boy. People have really said, this guy's got something. So it's been such an awesome revelation, very humbling to know that people are digging the thing that I bring to the table. And I'm having a blast, to be honest, just having fun.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. Like just listening to you speak as someone who also has a musical background. Uh, My degree is in music and I have voice as my instrument. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I know just how much musicality and being able to... I don't know, it's like an unspoken language in certain ways. Like, you know, it's the whole, you know it and you hear it, you know if you feel it. Like there's, yeah. there's so much that goes into just kind of the the artist's way of interpreting or reacting, responding. And so when you said earlier about how doing direction with other artists when you're directing them, and you can kind of sense, you know, because there's a rhythm or there's a mm-hmm. way of how things go because you've experienced it. Would you say that your background in music has actually given you that muscle like, did you Big build time. upon that?
1: Big time. And I think I noticed it mostly f- from my wife. Like she's singer, songwriter. She's got a history of rap and and all these amazing things where her natural ability as a voiceover artist, which I was discovering being, you know, the, on the other end of recording it for, for so many years and helping with auditions and stuff like that. Hearing the difference between somebody who understands pitch and music, because a lot of times you're going to get direction from a director who says, um, maybe you could read it more like this. Fixes a problem in the software driver. Okay, so I, there's clearly me resolving the word driver. Fixes a problem in the software driver. That's me going to a more upspeak and, and a little uptick on my pitch. That's actually a musical note. If somebody is tone deaf, I could give them this direction and say it till I'm blue in the face. They just will not get it because they don't hear that pitch. So musicality just from a pitch perspective, is so integral. Then you have rhythm. If I'm saying fixes a problem in the software driver, there's a little beat that I did there. That's rhythm. If somebody is maybe rhythmically challenged, they won't even pick up that I'm leaving a beat between sentences. So as a director, I have to communicate that in a different way when I know I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't have those skills. Whenever I'm dealing with voiceover artists who are musical That's just a rhythm and even a shorthand with my direction that I don't even have to say. As soon as I say it, they hear it, they get it because they're used to mimicking rhythm or doing something on a beat. And then you add a music track for them to record to at the same time, it's even better because there's just a flow and a rhythm that happens almost intrinsically when somebody is musical while they're recording voiceover.
0: Wow. So just for a little teaching moment here, because I loved what you did. You illustrated doing a little uptick and hitting a different note, as you will. There was also a moment where you said you left a beat. Now, you said if someone were musical, they'd be able to pick up where that beat was. And (laughs) I'm just thinking for anyone who's listening right now, if they didn't know where that beat was, does that mean that there's something they can do to improve upon that? I know it's somewhat of a natural gift, but... No, just
1: pack it in. There's nothing you can do. I'm just kidding. No, it's not, (laughs) it's not that dire.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For those people,
1: as a director, for those people, what I I will do is I will give their script punctuation. You see, so some writers, and this boils down to, you know, trickles down across the industry. Some copywriters will understand that somebody else is going to be reading what they've written. So they will add punctuation and space out the, the script in such a way that it matches the rhythm that they would expect to hear. Whereas a lot of times scripts come from a deck that has you know, the visuals, cues to go with it. So you don't have the ability to see a script like that. It's another trick that we'll do a lot of times. We'll take a script in whatever format we get it and we change it. So if we know there's a natural rhythm that we'll want, we wanna do, we're gonna put it in a form that we understand, hey, you know what? I'd like to leave a pause here for emotion or effect or something like that. Mark up your script with punctuation. So if you don't hear where that beat is naturally, throw a comma. That will tell your brain that, oh, yeah, I need to have a pause here. Or put it on a whole new line on your script. Okay, you know what? One other trick is like always keep a live document going while you're recording so that you can make those notes while you go. And rather than scratching up a script, sometimes it could be difficult. If you have maybe an iPad set up or a computer, ask for a moment. Well, hey, hey, give me a second. Let me just add that change and type it out. Stop making noise, then read it. If you're recording in your, at your own setup. But a lot of times as talent, you're nervous to say what you need or say what you want or take a beat to fix up your script. Just ask for it. At the end of the day, everybody just wants a great performance. So take what you need. If you need a drink, if you need a a pee break, if you need a second to fix up your script, just ask for it. And a lot of times people are very accommodating.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you find that there are producers who actually bake those into a session? Like, we're going to have a bio break at this time. We're going to, like, is some of that thought of in advance by studio or is the talent really, at, you know, the onus is on them to say something?
1: I think the onus is on them, especially with so much remote work now. Like, People aren't thinking about it. They don't have somebody sitting in a booth in front of them in a studio where they're watching you kind of start rocking in your chair because you got to pee so bad. So they're not picking up on the same social cues that you would see when you're in person. So I think it's up to the artist to actually know when those moments are. If you hear that you've done 12 takes and now the engineer is going to edit them together, put it to picture for the team to look at it. Maybe that's the time you ask for it. But if you're like, you know, sitting in the middle of a, of an intense moment and, you know, they're just have not figured out what the best way out of maybe a script revision is or you're maybe not getting what they're wanting or maybe they're wanting to try a bunch of things still. Don't stop in the middle of the flow of something. Be like, um, actually, can we take a minute? I, I gotta go pee real bad. That could throw just the rhythm off, not just for you, but for them. It's really about finding those moments and just kind of knowing what those cues are.
0: It really does come down to the talent knowing what's going on with their own body, whether you need a drink, you need to go to the bathroom, because no one else knows that. And especially if you're doing something remote. Mm -hmm. Just yes, I I, like everything you said made complete sense. You know, everyone's been in that place where either your stomach has started to rumble, or you Uh, really all of a sudden that, you know, the coffee is kicked in, you're like, too much water before the session, whatever. And and like, everyone, as you said, wants to get the best read possible. And that's the goal is to get in, get out, you know, be be good, be brief, be gone sort of thing. And so if you're uncomfortable, or if it's too hot, like I know just dress in layers might be a suggestion actually that I have because like you could have like a sweater on or, or whatever, but if you have a blazer and then a shirt and what have you, if it's it too hot, just take the blazer off. Whereas like yeah, don't leave yourself good. in a position where you're stuck and you're like, oh, I'm going to fry in here, but I have no other option. I just think that people need to be real. And that's very much what I heard from you. And I mean, I've been there. I've had to go to the bathroom and and like leave a session for this podcast actually, not while I've been interviewing someone else. But just before when we did the news format, I'd be like, uh oh. And so like fortunately it was just me and I could just duck off and then come back and no one knew the difference, you know. Right. It's it's audio. You can clean it up later.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a great point too, is that any preparation that you can do knowing yourself that is going to eliminate distractions for you when you need to be hyper-focused is key, right? So yes, if you know in the middle of a session, you are doing a lot of recording, maybe you're doing something where you have to project a lot and you're going to need a break in between a few of them to let your voice rest, or you need to make sure that you get a lot of water and have, you know, seven, you know, cups of water ready to go for this grueling session. It's the preparation and the preparation is really for yourself to make sure that you're comfortable and free from distraction so you can focus on performance.
0: Mm -hmm. Something that just occurred to me, and I promise I'll go back to musicality in a second, but but if you've had something with like little seeds in it, say blueberries or chia seeds or whatever, like floss before your session because those seeds expand. <laughs> they can like, you know, they just create extra saliva. It's a nightmare. So like really admit I have blueberries every morning and I've found that I need to do that, you know, just, Interesting. just yeah. Cause then you don't have little somethings in your mouth that are basically creating siblings for Interesting.
1: you. Interesting. That's good. Yeah. So I often have coffee first thing in the morning. So if I have a session first thing in the morning, I have to make sure that once I've done my coffee routine, that I also have to extra hydrate because the coffee is going to dehydrate me a little bit. Unless it's something that maybe it's, I got to give something a little more gravelly or whatever, then I'll I'll forego the water. But if I need to project and be clean and be clear, I got to make sure I've hydrated well after having my morning cup of coffee. And if I put yeah. oat milk in it, I have to really get my, my um, water going because... Oat milk just makes me flemmy, or if you know that you've consumed any dairy product before a session, that could cause you know a difference in your tone. So it's really knowing yourself and being prepared is is really the takeaway.
0: Absolutely, yes. And so I, I just want to go back into our music world because I know you have sound design background. You're, you're involved in just music, and you have a great ear for that. Surely, in your time of directing talent, and maybe you've even caught yourself in this position, but. Are there rhythms that talent fall into almost like autopilot default that they really shouldn't? So like when you say there's like a beat, or like they, they kind of have a way of talking and there's like almost like a pattern or, you know, like how in Shakespeare you have iambic pentameter and it's spoken a certain way. Like, is there a trap that you find a lot of voice talent fall into because it's what they've been hearing other talent do um, mm. either in past decades or recently uh, that isn't helpful?
1: That's a good question, but I don't know if there... I've experienced it where, you know, people get locked into something and they can't get removed from it. There's so much great talent out there. And I think it really boils down to good direction, to be honest, because I've seen sessions where, you know, maybe you have the creative team only directing and they're the writer at the agency and they don't have the shorthand or the understanding of how to communicate what it is that they're looking for. And I find that's more the disconnect, not that the talents got stuck in something. It's it's really the ability for them to articulate what they're able to or what they're looking for. And so my job as a director is to take that feedback from the creative team when they say, I want it to feel like it's, it's a summery day and like you're walking through the park. And then just in that moment, a dog stops to sniff a flower and a butterfly lands on his... Okay, that doesn't mean anything to somebody who's trying to, to do voiceover. Maybe just say what you like and, and how you want it to come across. And so I find it's less about talent getting stuck with rhythm. It's more about being able to communicate the rhythm that you're looking for. And a lot of times that's informed by the music.
0: Yeah, that's a huge skill. And as you say, it's also a musical way of getting that information. So I know you also have a background in sonic branding, and we did want to talk about that and just how that influences what you do. But how does that work? Like, does it start with the music or the words there and then it inspires music just share with us a bit more about your process and how creatively you make it all work
1: okay so yeah sonic branding really is is a cool way of saying hey we make music for television commercials or we'll come up with you know the mnemonic that is on some of your favorite brands you know like one of the great ones that our company did at grace and music was the current rogers uh, mnemonic which is Started out really as a song. We wrote an original song that was always intended to be the Sonic branding for Rogers. And we had this great idea as, hey, instead of just making commercials with this jingle at the end, why don't we make a full song that at some point lands on what it is that we want? So it was a very organic way to create Sonic branding. And Rogers having access to radio stations across the country, we thought, you know what? Let's seed it to all the stations, make a hit song, and then turn your hit song into the thing that is synonymous with your brand. So I don't know if you've noticed at the end of most Rogers commercials, it's, You can make more. Sorry, I'm not a great singer. But that's the way it ends. And that evolved from a song called, you know, You Can Make More Possible. And that was their line. So they came to us with what they wanted to do script wise and message wise, you can make more possible with Rogers. And we said, all right, well, let's turn that into a song. And we did that. And so it's this cool thing that you can go look up and find. It's an actual song that exists with a real artist and performer. And we wrote it and mixed it and produced it and released it, and then found crafty ways to take that sonic and catchy hook thing and throw it on the end of their other commercials. And it's evolved from the lyric version to now just the melodic version. And all these different renditions and it's, there's a pop version. There's an Indian, East Indian inspired version. Like it's, it's, it's gone in so many different directions depending on what we're doing in the commercial. Yeah. So that's just one of the cool things we get to do with music is just having music work with brands. And then it always ends up that we have to fit a voice with that in some way, somehow. So making that, that marriage of voice to music is basically making a song. So I look at all the stuff that we do for um, music and then what we do for voiceover as the voiceover becomes, in a lot of cases, the the lyric and the melody and the performer of the song because we're at, we have the music that's backing the artist or the voiceover artist. So there's an interesting marriage that happens between voice and music with advertising, which is synonymous to the marriage between voice and music in song.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite professors at a a recording school here in town, Oyart, Mark Vogelzang, often says that the voice is another instrument, you know, basically in in the whole big scheme of things, if you have a violin, a piano, a a cello, drums, whatever, the voice is also playing a role as an instrument. And I think that that, that's absolutely, you have to, you have to bring that in as a consideration because all voices sound unique and they have Mm -hmm. a timbre, a tone, and you need to also match the voice to the music so that one doesn't overpower the other. Like there's a balancing effect there, right. That's right. So I'm sure that's a consideration, but also when you're doing this, you had mentioned that there are um, different versions of the same work, but made for audiences around the world. So when you're working with music in particular, and I know an ethnomusicologist, and so this came to my mind as you we were talking, but in different parts of the world... What might sound really happy and upbeat to someone, say, here in North America, let's say is the Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. If you have Mm. that, it's it's happy. But if you were to play that somewhere else in the world, it could sound like sad music, like funeral music, actually, because it's (laughs) just a very different. It's true. Like you can take something that's supposed to be lovely and uplifting and whatnot, and then all of a sudden you put it in the wrong context because their ears are attuned to different kinds of musicality. So like in in a lot of countries, it's more of the minor harmonic minor scales and that sort of thing. That's right. um, so how does that impact your localization for, say, you just, you mentioned the Indian market. It was the music very different than it would have been for a North American audience.
1: Well, I think ultimately in the case of Rogers, it would still be... I think it's still because we're still communicating. It was more about inclusion at that point. So it's like, okay, we have a spot that has a bunch of people in the spot that are from the East Indian community. So let's make sure that we have a nod to that in the music out of honor and respect and showing that, you know, this is what makes up our, our country. And Canada is very multicultural. So it was more about making sure that we were paying attention to the fact that there is a multicultural element. To what we were doing, and we want to honor that. So, if we were to then release, um, you know, a Roger spot in Bangladesh, you know, there would be a different approach. And I think that's the point where you're right. You need to to draw from some of the locals there. And I think that's a great thing about Voices is that if you want somebody from that area or a specific, a native to a specific country, language, continent, you can find it all in one place. Which, for me as a director and a producer. It's phenomenal. It's like, okay, now we have to do a bunch of commercials in Cantonese. We need to find some great Cantonese voiceover artists because it has to be legit. And so sometimes, you know, you don't have specific languages that you can find local Toronto. So maybe you got to go outside and voices is a great way to go ahead and find that. And then you can, you know, make sure that you are being true to what it is for where you're trying to market. Thankfully, North American music is influential around the world. So I think if you play Ode to Joy and you're watching a spot that had amazing, beautiful shots of people smiling, I think people would get it and they wouldn't be turned off and it wouldn't feel like a funeral march, but it's still the responsibility of whoever's producing for whatever market that they're producing in that they pay attention to those things. And I always like to say it's it's honoring culture when you do that. It's not forcing it. It's not just, you know, ticking the inclusion box it's actually making an effort to make sure that who you're trying to communicate to feels respected and honored.
0: No, I I totally hear you. And I think this is something that colleagues and people in localization really have to be aware of is you're taking a piece of content and then you're needing to translate it into a way that it conveys the same sort of feelings and idea and objectives, but into a, an entirely different cultural context and mm-hmm. being able to speak in someone's heart language, in the way yeah. that they grew up and, and in the, the, you know, the dialect or the colloquialisms that they use. It's so meaningful because it's just like anything else. Like you need to know who your audience is. And if you send them something that's a one size fits all, then it's not going to be an effective campaign.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: All right. Well, we have covered a lot of ground here today, Tyson. Before we go, I absolutely wanted to ask you if there was anything you'd like to share with our audience or maybe a bit of wisdom from what you've learned in the day-to-day as a voice actor.
1: The key things for me is, is asking for what you need. I think voiceover talent needs to be empowered to do so. And, you know, you are well within your right to ask. If it's not available, it's not available but my motto is is always, if you don't ask, you don't get. So do a little bit of homework ahead of time, you know, learn the brands, learn who it is you're working for. Once you know who it is, just do a little bit of research. Sometimes just watching what's been done in the past and whether they like it or don't like it is is a very good piece of information that you can use to your advantage to get to something great during your session at any point. Always ask to record to music. I mean, I find that that is such a great informer of emotion because music is so emotional and music is very subjective, of course. So if you already know what the creative team and the client have are, have picked for music, then you're already 50% of the way informed on what the emotion should be because music is such a driver of emotion. And then pace, you know, that helps as well. If you're reading super slow and then you get the track and it's this upbeat, fast fun thing then it's like okay they kind of don't work together there has to be a marriage there between voice and music and just like you said the voice is the instrument and we have to use it as such when coupled with the music and the picture and ultimately the story
0: beautifully said and i couldn't say it any better myself thank you so much tyson no um is there a way that people can learn more about your work or a, a website that you can direct us to
1: Absolutely. Um, GraysonMusicGroup.com is where we do all the music. And me and is where Misa and I are hosting the work that we do together as a team.
0: Well, it's so wonderful to have you here, and I know like, this is the most exciting part for me. We actually have permission to play some of the audio from Tyson's gig that he what? did for the NBA. Yeah, I know, Woo! I know. So this is the audio from the 1960s Jackson Park, and we're talking Isaiah Thomas. Everybody, here it is.
1: Let's go. Welcome to The First Bounce. You're in the south side of Chicago in the 1960s. There's a lot of change happening in the world, but in Chicago's basketball scene, one thing is constant, Jackson Park. Some of the names you know, like Isaiah Thomas, but others you may not, like Lamar Money Mundane. Well, some of the biggest athletes in NBA history started here, others were the inspiration to push those future All-Stars forward. Before you had Derrick Rose or Dwayne Wade, you had Billy the Kid Harris. Here you can find them. The legends of the legends.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Tyson. It's wonderful to have you here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and Misa too. Like, I'm just so grateful that we can have her share her talent and her gifts with all of us and with the world at Voices. So, um, yeah, thanks again for joining us.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you guys and your whole team for all the hard work that you do for talent out there. Sometimes it's a thankless job, but um, I'd love to take this opportunity to thank you and the whole team and even you and your husband, what you've created in this platform because it's it's fantastic.
0: Oh, thank you. That's, that's very kind... And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Vox Talk today. Uh, thank you also to our very special guest. Tyson Katei and oh gosh, all the wonderful things he said. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know. You can go on socials using the hashtag VoxTalk. Another way to help us to, to know that you really liked it is to give a feedback rating and review. Now, you might be wondering, why does she ask for this? Why do podcasters ask for that? It's because it's one of the very, in a way, tangible ways that we know that you're listening and that you appreciate what we do. But it also has the wonderful benefit of introducing others to the show and helping them to see what Vox Talk is and, and how we can be part of their lives as well. So again, for Voices, this is Stephanie Cicerelli. Your producer has been Jeff Bremner, my producer, everyone's producer. We are looking forward to seeing you next week and we have a very special interview next week. I just want a little plug here. It is coming all the way from the Philippines. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week.